0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. church. My name is Karis Abraham, and I have the privilege of serving here on our student ministries, worship academy, and on our student leadership team. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Hey guys, how are we doing? Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. This will be our passage, Hebrews chapter 12 um earlier this week uh, i was in orlando uh, preaching and uh on my first night with this group of uh men and women the holy spirit just fell in a kind of unique beautiful way and uh, over 40 men and women said yes to jesus and moved towards him and it was it was a powerful yeah it was a really powerful night and it, and here's where it was like the first time this week i mean i knew this but it was the first time this week i thought oh man um because what i thought about was you I thought more of that at TBC, Lord, more of that at TBC. And then um, my wife, uh, Elsie, her name's Lauren, not Elsie. I realize I call her affectionately Elsie her initials, but her name's not Elsie. I realize this has been a mistake. They're like, we love your wife, Elsie. I was like, well, you don't obviously know her because her name's Lauren, but um, but um, Lauren has been one of the worship leaders at if gathering really since the beginning. Uh, and so on Friday. Um, yeah, I got to go just be her armor bearer, if you will, I just got to carry her bag and be Lauren Chandler's husband, which is really what I am, if you know her and me. Um, and then I'm in this room with, I don't know, 70 billion women and men uh, globally or whatever it was. And and then there it was again. The Holy Spirit fell and there were tears and confession and people moving towards Jesus. And it was so profound. And I just found my heart going and that more of that at the village. And it it occurred to me, Lauren and I have talked a little bit about it, that I don't like my whole grown up life has been here. I got here as a 28 year old with no kids. I have a married kid and a son about to graduate and a 14 year old that looks 32. And (laughs) this is like, I, I can't tease out like my own life from, in a very real way, my, my deep affection for the work of Jesus among us as a, a people. And so what ends up happening um, is I, I see the work of God move in profound ways and I get really angsty for us. Uh, I, I have, as the psalmist put, tasted and seen uh, that the Lord is good and there is so much in me that wants all of it for you. Like there's so much, I want you to have the freedom from internal bondage. I I want you to know his goodness in a way that your whole life is transformed. I want you off the sideline and right into the middle of the heart of God. And I don't ever wake up in the middle of the night worried about spreadsheets and stuff like this. But I often wake up in the middle of the night feeling a great deal of weight for you. Um, And so I, I love this season we're in. And then I have two squats to do with what we need to build to keep doing the things that we're doing. Um, Nick's already said it. I'll, I'll reiterate it. Um, if the Lord doesn't move us into greater worship and delight in Him, then then even if it's all there when all said and done, I'm not gonna be like, "Yeah, we did it." That that's not the did it thing for me. It's not the did it thing for me. Uh, and so I'm eager to preach this morning. Uh, I feel my heart's alive um, in some unique ways. Now, in 2012, which feels like a lifetime ago, some of you are not even alive. Looking around the room. Uh, I preach through the book of Hebrews. Anybody here when we did Hebrews? All right, anybody here? Was, yeah, some of you. Okay, yeah, like I said, it's a lifetime ago. Uh, and man, that, here's what's crazy about what I get to do. Here's my job, I can give you my, descri- my whole job description in four words, right? And you're like, you're a pastor, of course. What do you do during the week? Okay, buddy. Um, <laughs> here's what I get to do. Uh, I get to pray, prep, preach, and pastor. Can you tell a Southern Baptist wrote that? Uh, right, that's that. Like, I get to do that, like for a living. Um, and in 2012, uh, I was studying the book of Hebrews, um, and it was a, it was like a little mini revival for me. Uh, the the author of the book of Hebrews has one thing that he's trying to get across: the supremacy. And the excellency of Jesus Christ. And so uh, the whole time I'm studying, he keeps, you know, the, the Spirit's picking up my eyes and letting me look again and look afresh and, and doing it through the Old Testament, right? And, and for most of us, the Old Testament's kind of the scary part of the Bible. And, and yet the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jews in the first century who were being so severely persecuted by both Rome and by the Judaizers, those who were uh, saying that that actually. Christ had to be rejected in some ways, and, and that you needed to come back towards uh, the being, you, you know, your Judaism. And, and they could feel the pressure of it all, and, and they started to, to drift back to what they knew because your testimony and mine is if we're not careful, we'll drift back to what we knew. And so, on repeat, He is, Jesus is greater than, Jesus is better than, Jesus is bigger than. He's like, Jesus is greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than the prophets. In fact, let's make some eye contact for this one. He is the great high priest who, look at me, sat down. Now, if you don't know your Old Testament, you're just like, great, he had a seat. No, no, no. The priests never sat down, look at me, because the work was never done there were continual sacrifices being made for the sins of people on repeat for thousands of years. So the way it would work is they would work until sheer exhaustion, they would tag out and the next priest would come in and begin to make sacrifices for the sins of the people. But Christ, according to the author of Hebrews, has died once and for all. And he sat down as in, it's paid for. I guess you're not even hearing what I'm saying. Like Christ, the great high priest, he's sat down. His work is finished. You wonder where we get all of our sins, past, present, and future, are fully, freely, and forever forgiven in Christ? It's the fact that our great high priest is seated. He's not standing. He's not working. He's accomplished for you and for me all that we're meant to live into, he is sat down. His covenant is greater than the older covenant. His blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats. It's like my good friend Charlie Date says about the book of Hebrews, you ain't never met nobody like Jesus. Fully God, fully man, aware of all of our weaknesses, but extends to us his righteousness. You ain't never met nobody like Jesus. And so um, here's what I've been trying to do the past three weeks. I'll say it again. I'm just trying to invite you into the life of Christ in this place. That's all I'm doing. That's my intent. That's what I'm preaching towards. I'm not preaching towards the completion of this project or easier parking or or more space for kids. I I want all of that. But, But what is motivating me, what's moving me is to... Woo you by the grace of God into the fullness of Jesus Christ. I want it so bad for you and I can't do anything about it except preach my guts out and hope that the spirit will catch something on fire. Amen. Now, with that said, I, I want to paint the picture again because some of you are guests and here, what I want to, I, I hope by the end of the day, it is crystal clear whether you should be here or somewhere else. And no, no smoke if you should be somewhere else. There's great churches around here, uh, so this will be a specific expression of it. And, and so the, the 2030 vision is what we're building towards, what we're putting resources in. Like it's a picture of the finished house, if you will. So I'm going to read that again. Here's what we're trying to do, and, and then I want to dive into this text. We are a welcoming home to thousands of people seeking Jesus Christ and growing in the grace of the gospel. We are a diverse community of men and women, young and old, single and married, discovering together our identity, purpose, and belonging within God's good design. I just lost my place. Give me a second. This is, the, I'm there, it's size 15. I've got contacts in and my eyes are still like, nope, you don't get to do that today. All right, let's keep going. Um, we impact thousands of kids and students week in and week out with all our efforts wholly dependent on God. We make disciples across all ages. Every stage of life has a portion in the church. We celebrate 300 baptisms every year, and we are a refuge for the broken and suffering to receive hope and care and a place where God heals and enriches marriages. We demonstrate the ministry of presence as we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We send wholehearted leaders and disciples into their homes into their neighborhoods, into our city, and into the nations. We have planted uh, 300... No, I missed again. Oh, we have planted and revitalized 30 churches and have 100 goers reaching 10 unreached people groups. We have seen more than 50,000 individuals reached by the gospel through our campuses, church plants, revitalization efforts, and goers. We have generously resourced millions of people across the globe as we share the gifts that God has entrusted to us every day In all spaces, through each season of life, we are joyfully building beyond ourselves, living the greater story together, and creating a kingdom legacy for generations to come. Two-point outline in our time together today, and don't get your hopes up that that means it's shorter. (laughs) Remember and run. Remember and run. Let's look at the text. This is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, now... It, I promise it'll move faster than this. <laughs> let let me, This is free, not in my notes. Um, whenever you see this word in the Bible, you should perk up. Therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? That's the, the Bible study rule, all right? Which means this text didn't just pop out of nowhere. Like he's, he's just finished saying, so. so therefore, since this, all right? But we'll get to that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, to remember before we can run. Um, the first is that uh, although we, we have our own stories and our own lives, that, that you and I, our, our little tiny lives, are actually a part of a much larger, bigger story that's outside of space and time. So although we have our own individual stories, highs, lows, gifts, um, you know, sorrows, we, we have to keep it, we have to remember. That we're actually part of this global, uh, like this global family that knows no one language or no one color or one kind of cultural norm. Or no, no, no. We we are part of something much bigger than our individual stories. You've got to keep that in mind, and that's the point of this great cloud. Of witnesses. This, this little turn of phrase, great cloud of witnesses, in the scriptures, it's used, it's actually, even in the first century, a common metaphor for a giant throng of people, right? That, that word, throng, like a lot of folk here, right? Like Disney over Christmas break. Right, there are too many people there. So he's saying, hey, you belong to a great cloud of people. In fact, all of Hebrews 11 is called the roll call of faith where he just recounts to them how frequently and with how, how how much power and excellency Jesus has saved, sustained, empowered, strengthened and walked with people long before we got here. See, the lie is that whatever you're struggling with whatever you're stuck in is unique to you. <laughs> Brother sister, you, you you're unique in that there's only ever been one of you and there'll only ever be one of you, but your story, you'll find out pretty quickly that your story lays across a lot of other people's stories and there's some things that are just human experiences that we all have. And so let me, let me show you a little bit of this great cloud of witnesses back in Hebrews 11. I'll put it on the screen. This is Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. I could do the whole chapter, but we don't have that kind of time this morning. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, at this point, you should probably kind of like, you're like, yeah, I want some of that. Like, I'd like to put a foreign army to flight. You kidding me right now? I like a good scrap. Like, wouldn't that be great? Like to shut the mouth of a lion? Like this, but look, the the text turns Quickly, lest we get confused. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in the caves of the earth. Now, here's the point of the passage. One, I love it because it punches the prosperity gospel in the mouth. Do you know what I mean when I say that? That gospel that says you give your life to Jesus and you got a divine errand boy all the days of your life. No, no, no. The text is saying he is making the point that the outcome of faith doesn't belong to the children of God. And that faith will oftentimes, like bold, crazy faith, oftentimes looks very different than it's been packaged in the US. Like sometimes faithfulness is not growing a big church. Sometimes faithfulness is getting mocked and sawn in two. Sometimes great faith is being destitute and afflicted. So so the, the call on my life and the call on your life is not to measure our lives by outcomes of faithful surrender with a great cloud of witnesses to look back on and go, oh, he'll pull me through. He'll pull me through. He always pulls through. He'll deliver. He'll come through. He'll save. He'll work and put our confidence in Jesus and not our faith. Because some of you are all jammed up. We're gonna get into this. Some of you are all jammed up because you're too busy staring at your own failures and shortcomings to understand it's not about you. And the more you gaze at your own navel, the the more quick you're going to be to become apathetic or or drift off the reservation. You're just not, listen, I love you, you're just not impressive. But neither am I. That's what makes this thing so great. So on top of this group, where we've got the biblical historical record of the faithfulness of Christ to his people, we, we have our own stories. I have my own cloud of witnesses. People that you'll never read about or hear unless I say their names, guys like Jerry Hendrix, who was the first ever to disciple me, or David McQueen, who I trained under in Abilene, or Ronnie Hazard, who was a chemical engineer at Amoco, a plant down uh, outside of Galveston Island, who just had me come into their home. Just loved me. We didn't go through discipleship material. He didn't. He, he just brought me into his home. Like this is a man that's like running a plant, not a lot of free time, and yet his hobby, if you will, was to find kids like me and just pull them into the house to pray with, to encourage, to point towards, to call out of. And I can tell you, man, I feel indebted to those brothers and some sisters. I feel indebted to finish well for their great investment in me and I feel a responsibility to invest in what's after me. Because right now there's some other loudmouth, knows too much for his own good punk that just needs somebody to come alongside and encourage and build them up and and confront in love so that they might become all that God has for them in Christ. And so this is the this is the remember that your story is actually in a much larger story and, and you've got to remember that you've got to fight to remember that because your story can be difficult. Amen. Your story can be all-consuming. Like, listen, I've got a family. I've got a job. I've got a, I have got. understand all the weight of the distraction of my own small little life. But the remembrance here is to, oh my gosh, I'm here for a second. There's a much bigger thing at play. Let me reorient around that. Let me reshape my life around that. So that's the first thing. Like we have to remember we're actually caught up in a bigger story but here's the other thing. It's going to sound very Sunday school felt boardish to you but it's the way it's described I think that has the umph. He says to remember Jesus, but not just remember Jesus kind of vaguely. He says remember some specific things about Jesus, namely that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. All right, or the ESV. I'm sorry, I memorized this in, in the uh, NIV years ago. He he says it a little bit different in the ESV. I like it better in the NIV. Whatever. We don't have time for all that, right? So he says here that he's the founder and perfector of our faith. But but here's the here's the major point that it is not our faith, but the object of our faith that has all the power. All right, so where am I to fix my eyes? On Jesus. Why? Because my faith was given to me by the Lord, and it is sustained by the Lord, and it is carried by the Lord, and it is empowered by the Lord. That's his point. Don't just remember Jesus, but look to Jesus as the one who started this whole thing. It's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in the book of Philippians when he said this, and I quote this to the Lord all the time. And I am sure, I am confident of this, he said, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Did did you hear? Like, I bring this up to the Lord all the time. I was a very, very happy political science major. was gonna be a lawyer, great Sunday school class, and a sweet Porsche. And the Lord said, actually, I've got got some other plans for you, and you'll you'll be more grateful that you'll be happier, more grateful if you follow me. And, and, and so here's the, like when I get all jammed up in this world, the Lord's put me, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, I was, you did this, I didn't do this, you do. You better come through, you better do that thing you do because you've asked me to do something that's impossible. Do you know that uh, the Apostle Paul says of, of men and women that, that the God of this age, little G God of this age has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. Now I know I can talk. But I ain't never given sight to the blind. That's a Holy Spirit thing, right? So he's jammed me up, gave me this call, and I can't I can't control any outcomes, right? So but praise God I don't have to. Right? Remember what we just I don't I just have to remember that it's his story and not mine. And then I to remember that Jesus is the author and perfecter. He started this and he will not abandon me back to myself. In the book of Exodus, Jesus saves the people of Israel from slavery and they don't make it two weeks in the wilderness till they're like, he brought us out here to kill us. And <laughs> you can giggle because we think we're better than them. It's called chronological snobbery. But, but I really do wonder uh, how many of you feel that way even now that you, you look back on yesteryear to this high point in your, like you got saved and all the lights were on, you're like, woo! And now you just feel apathetic and stuck. And, and he's saying here, remember, this is God's idea. This wasn't your idea. You're going a whole different way when the Lord snatched you up. Like he began it, and he will be faithful to complete it. Amen. Which means it is not our faith that we're meant to fix our eyes on, but the object of our faith, which is Jesus, a surefire way for you to get stuck, to become apathetic, for you to drift, is to gaze on your own faith. Even the Bible says your faith is tiny. Now did you know like Jesus like, all you need though is like a little mustard seed of faith. I mean that thing's the smallest of all seeds, it's the most tiny thing, that's all you need, but you need that tiny little faith in something really big. So maybe this illustration works. Um, A rope is worthless unless it's tethered to something that can hold the weight of the rope, the person on the rope, right? So if you're just like gazing at your rope, well, I struggle still, I can't, and you're just not like, who cares? Like you think the Lord's like pushed all his chips in on you? He's pushed all his chips in on Christ. Like the victory is Jesus's, the power is Jesus's, The, the strength is Jesus's, not yours, not mine. This is why, like as a preacher, there's sometimes like a C minus, but the Holy Spirit works. And there are times like an A plus, and it was just wise and persuasive words. This is a game that we're in. It's not about us. This is why I've been just pleading with you for decades to get over yourself. You, You are not so struggling that the power of God can't flow in and through you. But the more, the object where you fixed your eyes, which is this text, get your eyes up, lock them in, is not on you but him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, why? Because this is his deal. It's his deal, not your deal, his deal. Fix your eyes there, because he can hold the weight of all of it. He doesn't need you to be monstrous in your faith. Just, just a little, just a tiny little mustard seed. Do you see how we get confused? I mean, if we had more time, I mean, I'd know the room. Like, you know how many of us are just paralyzed? Because of us? I just can't imagine that God could use you or flow through you or have some kind of powerful thing for you to be a part of. Why? Like, your, your stupidity the great weakness of the omnipotent creator of the universe? He's all jammed up because of you? I, it just, I don't understand, like, what, what's, it's demonic. That little thing that's rolling through your head that, that because what ends up happening is, if your faith is where you fixed your eyes, how well you perform, how well you dance for the Lord, then I just think you're you're gonna get stuck. You are. I mean, that's the only way. I, you're spiritually you're just gonna be stuck. But if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, remembering, no, no, it's Him, not me. Then now, so you got all the confidence in the universe so remember Jesus and then the passage turns to this idea of running and um the ESV again I'm not bagging on the ESV I've used it for 20 years but this they made it real sweet and it's not sweet in the Greek like if you look back at verse one therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness let us also listen how sweet this is lay aside like you're folding laundry or something, right? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. This isn't lay aside, it's throw it off. Get it off me. Like, how can you run with weight and sin all over you? Well, you can't. So he's got this, he, he plays this game here in the text, which I, I love it because experiential, it's exactly what happens. He, he calls it hindrances, right, right? That, that there are hindrances. Or that's the one I have memorized. Let me go back to this text. He, he calls it um, weight. He's got weights or hindrances, and he's got sin. He's not talking about the same thing. So, so when he's talking about weight, here's what he has in view, and I love that I'm preaching this in Texas because you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's talking about lesser loves that are turned into our great love. Here, here would be the illustration that would help you. Um, chips and hot sauce. See, here's something you have to be aware of when it comes to lesser loves. Lesser loves can spiritually satiate you so that you're not hungry for the meal. Again, I don't know that I could use this in New York. I certainly could use it here. You know what I mean? You're just hungry, so you get there, they bring out the chips and you smash that thing. You look like somebody hadn't eaten in two years. You just crush it. (laughs) And and you won't turn it off because they'll just keep bringing baskets and they'll even ask you, Do you want any more chips? And you say yes. And so you eat all that chips and hot sauce and then they bring out sizzling on a platter, skirt steak sent from God himself. Sizzling, guacamole. I mean, it's all there for your delight. Uh, And you can't. And I'm telling you, this is what lesser loves do. I know I'm being funny. I'm trying to, for the rest of your life when you eat Tex-Mex, I want this to pop in your head. This is what happens when we allow lesser loves to become ultimate in our life. They're morally neutral things that rob us of the delight of the feast. So the feast is Christ, his presence, his power, his working in your life. And then there are all these lesser loves that are meant to kind of point to him, but you terminate all your spiritual hunger on chips and salsa. And I'm not saying chips and salsa don't taste delicious. I'm saying they're a crud meal. They don't make a good meal. You feel a little gross after, right? You're a little disappointed in yourself. It's like, I think I had 32 baskets of chips. But look at it. This is, this is endlessly scrolling. This is Netflix. This is, I'm going to satisfy my soul in other places. And they're morally neutral things. Nothing wrong with anything. There's nothing wrong with scrolling. There's nothing wrong with Netflix. Nothing, unless they're chips and hot sauce for the soul. And morally neutral, lesser loves do more damage, specifically to the people of God, than anything else out there. Um, like I am not in danger. Like let's say when this service is over, uh, I've got a little bit of work I've got to do backstage and then I'm going to walk out to my truck I'm gonna park a little bit out and we'll walk out and um, then I'm going to get in my truck and say on the way there, um, a guy stops and he was like, say, man, you want some of this black tar heroin? I I'm not going to struggle with that. I'm not I'm not going to like need to make a pro con list about that. I'm not going to ask follow up questions. What kind of energy does it give you? Is there a hard crash at the end? I'm not going to ask any of those questions. That's not how the enemy's going to get me or probably most of us. But chips and salsa. We'll steal your soul with chips and salsa. <laughs> Slow, overtime, morally neutral. Nothing wrong with this. Yeah, I'll take another basket. I'll take it. You, you got that green sauce but like the jalapeno ranch stuff. Bring that stuff. That's like crack. Bring it. That's my black tar heroin. And, and then and then you stop. You stop being hungry for the meal, the feast. And so he's saying not fold that up and put it in the drawer. He's like, get it off of you. Treat it violently. Spot it and destroy it. And I'm telling you, if you feel stuck and apathetic, it's probably not black tar heroin. It's probably chips and hot sauce. So, so what would your chips and hot sauce be? I don't know. I, I think like we're just the most entertained generation ever. and We're just filling almost every moment we have with lesser stuff. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just, it just makes a crummy meal. And so then we, we feel a little bit empty. We feel a little hollow. We feel just like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I was like, I do. You just had chips and salsa for two years worth of meals. You'd been designed to run on protein and deliciousness. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. And and then he moves to sin. So he's like, throw these things off, throw off hindrances, and then throw off sin. And I want to read this verse to you. This is Romans 13, 13 through 14. I want to point something out, and then I want to hone in on a phrase. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Let me make a point. The, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. I think that lays pretty well over our current cultural moment, sexually perverse and constantly arguing. I think, yeah, but look what he says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. So like put to death, get off of you morally neutral, lesser loves that satiate your spiritual hunger. And then he says, you gotta get this sin off of you. In fact, he's gonna go farther than that and says, don't make any provision for it. Don't give it an inch. Don't give it a speck of room in your life. Um, I'll be, I know there's kids in the room, so I'll I'll do this in a G-rated way. Um, When I was a little boy, the only way to get your hands on pornography is for your daddy to have some magazines or one of your friend's daddies to have some magazines. Or you might accidentally stumble onto something as the enemy sought to destroy you. Uh, and, and that was kind of your play. That that, that's the way it happened. And now it is everywhere always. And sometimes you don't have to go look for it because it's looking for you. And, and so there are men who frequently I get in this kind, And I know it's not a male issue. I know it's a people issue right now. Um, but but I'm not counseling women who have pornography issues. It's just not wise or good. We have women that do that, that are exceptional. But the brothers, I'll have a man-to-man talk with a brother about this. And what's interesting to note about it is some, and, and you're in here, statistically, there's a lot of you in here. They're stuck in it like they can't. They, it just keeps pulling them back in. And so this is the conversation we have. Where have you made provision for it? Where have you given it room in your life? Where, where have you given a way in for it to get its hook in you? You're, you're being triggered by something. Where is that? And the number of brothers I know that, that won't give up the gateway because the gateway's morally neutral. Like, let me tell you about Instagram, brother. I don't care what you're using it for. There's an algorithm that knows you're a 38 year old man. And what most 38 year old men like to see with their eyes. You don't have to find it. It will come find you. But Jesus and I think the equivalent there for women. Give me grace. I'm not one. Uh, could be like the romance novel kind of thing, where there 's just like a better you know more romantic man than the man they married you know oh, it'd be great to get swept off my feet by someone who's romantic and not uh, my guy who is what he is and and that 's there it 's just a fantasy world that you create in your head, and then look at me and then you give yourself over to it and and we we 've covered this, but the body follows the mind, the body follows the mind and and so here he says. Don't make any provision. This is the way Jesus says, if your left hand or right hand causes you to stumble, you should cut that thing off. Your right eye, pluck that thing out. That's making no provision for the flesh. I know I have an enemy that wants to destroy me. I want to run. I want to remember Jesus. I want to gaze upon his beauty. I want to step into this moment of time he's giving me. But I can't because I'm weighted down by lesser loves where I'm stuck in kind of habitual, secret, besetting sin. And so the book says, I can heal that, but you're going to need to make no provision for the flesh. Give it no space, give it no air to breathe. Crush it, stomp it out, act violently, not lay it aside, get it off of you. Get it off of you. This is partly what he means by running. We have to lay aside these weights and sins. But he also says to run with endurance. Here, let's. Do you know how you develop endurance? You have to endure. It's the only way to get endurance. Now, you, you might know this. This, this is something, I, again, I, I'm a man, so I'm more familiar with men's stuff. Like this is the brother that shows up at the gym on January 2nd and does a full-body four-hour workout that he found online that a Navy SEAL did, and then he can't move for three weeks, so he never goes back to the gym. (laughs) No, no, no. The the Bible talks about our spiritual development this way. One degree of glory to the next. One degree. That's how we change. One degree. And so for some of you, because I'm talking about sin and and weight and hindrances, and and the game that you you might be tempted to play right now, is to just keep all that quiet and silent and wait for the Holy Spirit to zap you and make it all go away. Let's talk. That has never, that never happened one time in the Bible. Not one time did someone struggle with secret besetting sin and, and have some encounter that changed everything. Now, there is an encounter that can start you on a new path. But that's not the way this works. So if you're just like like crushing your own soul in the hopes that there's going to be some kind of crazy divine lightning strike in the deep part of your soul that makes everything easy. Why would this text be here? How do you run with endurance? You endure. And sometimes that endurance is confessing it over and over again, louder and louder to more and more people. God, but isn't that shameful? And then there's the last part, run with endurance, what? The race set before us. So I've talked a lot about this. It kind of got into my heart a couple of years ago. I think three or five years I just started going, this is it. This is our day. This is our moment. This is our time. Like this is, God placed us here for this thing. God is not panicked. He has his people right where he wants them. His people just need to meet with him and go out in confidence and power. The, the believers that heard this in the first century, they were running a very specific race unique to their time, much like we are running a very specific race unique to our time. We need to run our race. We need to run their race. We need to run because we were handed this by the faithful brothers and sisters before us. And even now we're handing it over to what's behind us. Even now we're, we're handing it over to what's behind us, like out there right now. I don't know who he is. There's there's some. He's a kid right now, I hope. That, that's going to, in 15 or so, 20 years or so, have this job. He's going to have my role. He, he just is. I'm not, guys, I ain't, going to be the one, I ain't going to be 78 up here, all right? I'm just letting you know. Now, I'm going to give it all to the end, but I ain't going to be 70-year-old Paul Chandler not giving it up to the next generation. I'm already praying for that kid. I hope he's wild. I hope he ain't even saved yet. So I got, I got to run here. I still got another 15 years, so I want him to come to know Christ this year out of some filthiness and then steep in the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit for the next 15, and then I'm just gonna be like, run, kid. I'm not going anywhere. Listen, man, this is the only church, I mean, I've been here 21 years. I'm not like gonna join, no no smoke at all. I'm not gonna join Valley Creek for a year so he can feel comfortable. Might disappear for six months or something and then come back, and I just wanna cheer that kid on, and I know he's gonna tear apart everything I spent my life building, and he'll need to, because we'll have a brand new generation to try to reach with the gospel. The book won't change, the message won't change, the context will. then I'm hoping I can be his biggest fan and cheer him on and those are like, well, I miss when you and I'm like, shut up with that. It's gone, it's gone. I'm here with you, we're under this kid. Let's cheer him on as he leads us into what's next. The same thing that some of the faithful saints that were here when I got here had to do with the brothers and sisters. They're like, he's so loud. Why is he dressed like that? What's up with his hands? we have received, it is ours to steward and then to hand to what's behind us. But none of that happens if morally neutral lesser loves are at the apex of our affection and none of it happens if we're being crushed by sin. So here's what we're going to do. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. I think this will be easier for us. We'll feel a little safer. If you're in here today and you, like, as I was preaching, as I was talking, you, you, you realize that, that God in his mercy, God, like, you, you're like, oh my gosh, I think that, I think that's me, man. I I think I do do feel stuck. I have grown apathetic. I I don't have a zeal for the Lord that matches his goodness and grace. I don't even know when it happened, Matt, but it's happened to me. Now, as you're talking, I'm I'm made aware by the grace of God that I feel stuck right now. I feel apathetic right now. If that's that's you, would you just raise your hand high? Like, high, so we can encourage one another. Yeah. So if if you've got your hand up, why don't you open your eyes and look around? Look around, guys. Look at this. This is us. You're not alone. Remember what I said? You're not alone. This is what happens to us. Be encouraged. Okay, put your hands down. Now, maybe it's not lesser loves. Maybe it's secret, besetting sin. That you just feel like the hooks are so deep in you, and you've tried so hard to overcome it by your own strength, and it just keeps finding a way to pull you back into the muck, and the mire and what's crushing me what's weighing me down is not lesser loves I, I can't even get to lesser loves because this thing's got me I'm, I want to be done with it I'm tired of it if that's you would you raise your hand in here no shame in that no shame in that I'm, I'm not gonna have everybody look around on this one this is just you and the Lord okay man again so many all right why don't you put your hands down here's what we're gonna do like yeah we got beyond camp, whatever I'm gonna push the, no this is this is the stuff I'm going to invite the prayer team to come on up. Uh, And so if you're praying this morning, I want you to head on up this way. In fact, I would just say this. If you're on the prayer team and you're not even scheduled today, will you come on up? Um, I I just, if if everybody who just raised their hand moves upon what the Spirit's shown them, we're going to need you today. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. And then we're going to stand up. We're going to sing for just a little bit. But here's my encouragement to you. If you raised your hand and you just said, man, I feel stuck, I feel apathetic, we want to pray for you, we want to lay a hand on you, we want to ask that you be quickened and wakened, we want to ask that that lesser, that morally neutral lesser love would bump back down where it's supposed to be, where the goodness of that actually makes you more grateful for Jesus, Nothing doesn't actually become Jesus. And then, friends, hear me. If you raised your hand on that besetting sin thing, I know what I'm about to ask is the most terrifying thing in the world. The first step, not lightning bolt step, the first step in healing and wholeness is for you to say that out loud and for it to stop being your struggle and it becomes our struggle with you. But to do that, you've got to say it. And you don't need to say it in a way that's pretty either. You need to say the thing. And there's something spiritually that happens when we finally step into the light. And what you'll receive is the grace of God through another man or woman moving towards you in grace and not from you in shame or disgust. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're all going to stand together. We're just going to sing about the goodness of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. I want to invite you up immediately. No one... Self-justifies better than we do. And I'm telling you, you want to have an argument with yourself right now about whether or not you should come and receive what Christ is offering today, you might just win the argument. And, And how sad would that be if you won the argument against yourself and kept yourself in bondage. So the invitation, light and life, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Feel stuck, feel apathetic, secret besetting sin. We're here for you. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to stand and respond. Father, I bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. I, I, Holy Spirit, I ask strength right now, courage right now. I, I know what I'm asking. I, I know it just feels like my whole life might fall apart if I do that. And we, we want to say, you are better than life. You are the great I am. You are better than whatever version of our life we've built for ourselves, and so we trust you. I I just pray courage to move. I pray courage to receive. I pray power wash over them as they receive prayer. I pray generational bondage get broken once and for all today the path of healing has a ripple effect through the generations right up until you return, and I'm asking you to come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. Bless this time that we've set aside to just respond to your word. We need you. It's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.